Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We podcast a Bible study every Wednesday evening, and it's posted at the same time as we come together at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ on Wednesday evenings for midweek Bible classes, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. We're thankful to have this opportunity to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're here and that you want to learn God's Word, and we know that there are people who cannot be with us in person through in our midweek Bible classes, but they want to know God's Word. They want to study. They want to be in the Word, and so we're thankful to be able to help them along this line. And we pray that as we study together, that you grow in your faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And so it's important for us to continue to study God's Word. We grow in our faith, we grow stronger in our faith, but also it helps keep us focused on our relationship with God so we can come closer to God. And it also teaches us how to follow Him through Jesus Christ, faithfully, obediently, and ultimately leading to our eternal life with Him in heaven through forgiveness and salvation. Now, we encourage you, if you're in the Omaha area, to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. The church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study at 6 o'clock each Sunday evenings. And then, as I said, Wednesday evenings, midweek Bible classes, 6.30 p.m. each Wednesday evening. You're welcome to any and all of these services. We also encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. And encourage everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free and it always will be free. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they'll receive Sunday morning Bible class, Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a weekly radio program. I say weekly, I mean five days a week, uh, Monday through Friday, that we call Search the Scriptures, and a short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, that we call Today's Bible Class. All of that will go to their smart device when they sign up for our podcasting. And again, it will always be free. So tell everybody you can. We're going to get back into our study from the, the gospel account according to John. We are going to pick up with chapter 7. We spent a couple of weeks in or a couple of classes, I should say, in the sixth chapter, very long chapter, and it covers some important material. Now, we come to chapter 7, and it's interesting that we get some insight as to the mindset or the attitude or maybe the lack of faith, if we want to get, you know, kind of pin it down more succinctly, of the physical, that is the biological brothers of Jesus. Now, remember, Jesus was born of Mary before she ever was actually married to her husband-to-be, Joseph. So biologically, she was, and, and so she, she conceived the child, Jesus, physical form, and through the Holy Spirit. So biologically, Jesus was her physical son, but not the physical son of her husband-to-be, Joseph. The brothers, on the other hand, 
and he would have sisters as well, they would be born to Joseph and Mary biologically. So what we, when we think about Jesus' brothers here being brought out in this particular chapter from John's Gospel account, we're talking about his half-brothers biologically. And so they were born through Joseph and Mary, while Jesus was just born through Mary biologically. So technically, they were half-brothers, but at the same time, I'm sure they were raised within the family, within the household, as, as full brothers. So, and, and ultimately, we find, I believe, two of them ended up writing books of the New Testament, being guided by God through the Holy Spirit to do, th- do so, and that would have been James and also Jude. Now, we pick up with verse 1, chapter 7. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. It's interesting that through such a short period of time, as the gospel account that John writes is progressing, but now when we're looking at, okay, we've only been through six chapters, that does not mean we're only talking about weeks or months, you know, we, we may be you know, farther along, quite a bit farther along than we might assume. But in the, in the account John lays out here, within a short period of time, chapter 7, uh, Jesus is already in danger of his physical life or for his physical life because, as brought out in this particular verse, the Jews in Judea wanted to kill him. Now, that would not have been all of the Jews in Judea, that would have, because many of those became his followers, but we're talking about basically the leadership probably by this time, and uh, some of the stricter uh, Jews among, among the sects of the Pharisees probably. So there were, there were significant numbers that wanted to kill him, so he's avoiding at this particular point going into Judea, and so he's walking in Galilee. And he's teaching as he goes, obviously. Now, picking up with verse 2, now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, therefore, said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. And so his brothers, now, I'm, I'm wondering, were they being sincere in saying, hey, You've got followers in Judea. You need to go and let them see you. They need to, to hear you further, your teaching, and so on. Uh, or were they kind of challenging him? Because what comes next says in verse 4, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. It seems to be a challenge here, doesn't it? And then further, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Interesting, isn't it? Now, you might say, I thought you said that two of his brothers, James and Jude, wrote New Testament books. That's correct. We believe that, yes. But they said they don't believe it. They didn't believe in him. At this point in Jesus's physical life and in his ministry on this earth, they did not believe in him. And so this may be more of a challenge to him, maybe even something of a rebuke on their part hey, you need to go to Judea. You're avoiding going there? Why? You've got followers there. They need to see you. Anybody who, who is, is you know, desiring or is calling for open following, uh, he should not be doing, you know, doing, just doing things in secret. 
So verse 4 again, for one who does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. For no one does anything in secret while he, he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Again, we're, we're left to wonder, had these brothers not yet seen any of the miracles that Jesus performed? Any of the signs? Any of the wonders? Now, there had been many who had seen them, who had been with him when he performed various miracles and signs and wonders. Had his brothers not yet seen any of them? Had they just maybe heard about some of them? And so they're saying, hey, you know, if you're really doing these things, go show yourself to the people who are following you in Judea. And yet there were people in Judea wanted to kill him. So verse 6, then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already, or is always ready. The, word cannot, uh, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Now, you might think, okay, so he was not going to go to this particular feast. This particular Jewish feast, you know, uh, spirit, you know, religious feast of the tabernacles, he was not going to go this time, this year. It would be taking place every year, and so he was going to skip it this year. But that's not so. Again, we're left to read in between the lines somewhat. Why did Jesus tell his brothers, uh, my time is not yet ready. Your time is always ready. You go on. And then he stayed in Galilee for a while. But then the next verse, but when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. So he did go, but he did not go openly announcing himself, making himself perhaps uh, as publicly known as he might have liked to have been able to do, because again, he had enemies out there. So verse 11, then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives people. And so he had two different responses that were diametrically opposed to one another. He had, he had faithful followers believing in him, but then he had others who absolutely opposed him, absolutely did not believe. And that would, that would continue throughout his ministry. And we see that evidence also on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, while about 3,000 were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, Acts 2 and verse 38, on that day, undoubtedly there were many thousands of others on the scene at that time who did not respond in faithful obedience. So, we come back to uh, chapter 7, and we pick up with, with verse 13. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. Now, when it says no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews, that probably indicates those who believed in him, those who said he is good, He's saying good things. He's, he's fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament of the coming Savior. So 
About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? In other words, said he's never been to one of the, to one of the schools, has never become, never studied with the scholars, and yet he knows letters, yet he knows these things. He is knowledgeable, skillful in the word. Well, duh. <laughs> He's God the Son. He keeps telling them, I am the Savior. I am the Son of God come to earth. I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Of course he knew the scriptures. He was there as they were being written. And as the writers in the Old Testament, uh, writing the Old Testament scriptures, were being guided by the Holy Spirit to write God's very word. He was there at the creation, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us, let us make man in our image. And John brought out in the first few verses of his gospel account here, John chapter 1, verse, first few verses, Jesus was there at the creation, taking part in the creation. And the Apostle Paul brings that out also in one of his letters. So how... How has this man known letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. I'm not coming telling you something I've made up by myself. I'm coming with the message, with the word of God from heaven itself. If anyone will do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep, keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the people answered and said, you have, de- you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Well, now, what people said that? Obviously, his enemies again, those who were seeking to kill him or at least to shut him up. Now, so what is Jesus saying here? He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. What is the test of a prophet, going back to the Old Testament scriptures? Whether or not his prophecy comes true. And if his prophecy does not come true, he's not a prophet from God. Now, that's laid out in Scripture, okay? What is the test of a true teacher of God's Word? Whether or not he is truly teaching God's Word, or if he is bending it or twisting it or adding something to it or taking something away from it. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. You see, that's the standard. Now, if Jesus came and he were just quoting Old Testament scriptures, anybody could have done that. But Jesus came not just referring to the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Savior, but he was fulfilling those prophecies before the very eyes of the people of Israel. He was, he was fulfilling those prophecies, and he was performing miracles and signs and wonders as evidence that he truly 
was here from God and had God's authority because he was fully divine within him to be able to perform those miracles and wonders and signs. Again, anybody could have claimed to have been the Savior, but he was specifically one after another fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies in himself and showing the authority and the power of God behind what he was teaching by performing miracles and wonders and signs. Now, if, if people were denying that, then they were denying the obvious facts that were presented right before them. So Jesus is trying to get this basic principle across to them. Now, he says, why do you seek to kill me if I'm teaching you the truth? Well, the truth hurts a lot of times. And a lot of people, when the truth contradicts what they have been believing and how they have been living their lives, and that applies today to a whole lot of people. Why do a whole lot of people not want to hear anything about the Bible? Why do they not want to sit down and, and, and study the Bible with anybody? Why do they not want to go to church services much, if at all? Because they know their lives contradict what the Bible teaches. And so out of sight, out of mind, they just put that out of their mind. They don't want to put it into their, they don't want to let it have any effect in their conscience because that causes them inconvenience. It causes them, if they let it, if they really let it kind of sink in, it causes them some, some emotional pain because they know they're not, their life is not conforming to God's word. Well, we go on with verse 21. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on, on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Now he's saying, you practice circumcision for male children if that eighth day happens to fall on the Sabbath because that's the sign of the covenant and you're, you're fulfilling, you're keeping the law of Moses that God gave to you through Moses. If you do that, why are you upset with me? Why do you take exception to me if I miraculously heal somebody on the Sabbath? If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And there is a key principle that we always need to keep in the forefront of our mind. If we're going to make a judgment call, and we have to make judgment calls all the time, we need to make sure that we're trying to the best of our ability to make those judgment calls from a righteous perspective. Verse 25, now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. And so the people, many of them were somewhat perplexed Jesus is contradicting the teachers, contradicting the religious leaders in the Jewish community. And, and they're, what, letting him get away with it? 
Well, you see, Jesus was speaking with authority. He was using common sense based upon Scripture principles. Verse 28, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. He's talking about you're not really focusing your life upon God when you reject me, and probably before he even appeared before them in his public ministry, they, many of them were not really following God's word in, as to the way they lived their own life. But I know him, and I am from him, and he sent me. So Jesus openly declares, I'm from God. I came from heaven itself. I'm the Savior that's been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds of years in Old Testament Scripture. Therefore, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. You know, one particular response that is very, very common among people who don't want to hear truth about any matter, but also about their spiritual lives, is to get angry and maybe even violent with somebody. And that's what Jesus had to deal with here. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? And so they're using, again, some logical reasoning to come to believe in Jesus. He's been proving that he is from God, that he is the Savior come to earth. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Jesus was actually prophesying of his crucifixion, his burial in the tomb, his resurrection, and then his ascending back to heaven. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Uh, (laughs) He's talking about heaven. Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Well, he was going to ascend back to heaven after his crucifixion, after his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection from that tomb. And they would not be able to follow him at that time. They would, where is he? Okay, well, he's gone back to heaven. They were still thinking in a short-sighted fashion. When it comes to spiritual matters, a whole lot of people are short-sighted. Verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about spiritual thirst and spiritual drink. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Verse 40, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Now they're referring probably to the prophet that Moses prophesied, 
God would send like him sometime. This has been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? He still had his critics. Despite all of the proof that he was laying out before them on such an ongoing basis. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. See, again, some wanted to take him. They wanted to resort to violence because they did not believe in him. And they wanted to shut him up. Well, if somebody is teaching error, then confront that error with the truth. But if you can't confront the error with the truth, then you need to go back to the drawing board. You need to look back into the mirror of your life, of your beliefs, and ask yourselves, why cannot I refute the error that is being taught here with the truth? And if the obvious logical conclusion is because the truth is that that's not error. That's truth being taught. And that was the case with Jesus. He was simply teaching the truth profoundly, authoritatively, and continually. But to shut him up, some wanted to take him in violence. Verse 45, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. You see, the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees, they were impressed with the authority as to how Jesus was teaching. No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And so they are (laughs) pronouncing, you know, the crowd who's believing in Jesus being accursed. Well, again, if you can't refute what you think is error with truth, then you need to stop and ask yourself, maybe I'm the one in error. Verse 49 but this crowd does not know the law. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And so these Pharisees and chief priests, they think their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures is above the knowledge of those common people out there. Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Nicodemus was becoming a believer himself. Verse 52, they answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies in minute detail. And yet those who did not want to believe him, and you have to stop and ask yourself why, in the face of all the evidence that he presented, 
that he is the Son of God, that he is the Savior, prophesied in Old Testament scripture repeatedly, why did they not believe in him? Why would they not believe in him? Maybe because they feared, at least some of them, that it would threaten their positions of authority. We'll pick up with chapter 8 next time. Let's pray. Father, help us to follow your word. Help us to believe it and apply it to our lives, even when it hurts and even when it means we need to change what we have believed in the past. Help us to be true to you by living by the truth of your word. Please forgive us and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.